They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I am your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. Before I get into my very special guest for the day, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price. Collaborating online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, Little Nicky, Robert V. Aldrich, Aaron Moriarty, Carolyn Thompson, Scott R. Curie, and Shore Hansen Gusted. And to my newest patron, Max Freeze, thank all of you guys so much for the uh, support. Um, it's a really hard world out there. Creating stuff or having a hobby for fun is wonderful, but those of you that see benefit and value in it and like to help support me, it's great. I am a single income household. Um, we have two kids. The world is crazy, so the extra little bit of support helps me make my shows better, and it helps me um, you know, be able to eat and live and survive and uh, actually be able to have a hobby and put my spare time into making shows like this instead of having to take on extra work. So I really appreciate it. This show is a lot of my shows is brought to you by Skeeter plays. It's my buddy, Steve Brennan. You've heard him on the Talkbuster podcast before. He was also at Talkbuster live. Um, he's one of my very, very best friends. And uh, he has a let's play channel called Skeeter plays over on YouTube. He has guests. I'll be one of them someday. You should go over and check it out. And with that, comes today's guest marissa please introduce yourself to the listeners sure and first of all uh holy shit you make enough doing this to call it an income i am so envious but <laughs> i am marissa i am a graduate student i'm just about done with my mfa i am a podcaster author and a semi-pro women's football player and i Back when we actually, you know, did stuff and went places, I did a lot of public speaking and theater. So I, I've got my uh, presence in multiple arenas. That's that's awesome. Could um since since I'm I'm only aware of of some of it. What what were the what are the names of the four shows you do? So I am the the primary host of the Inciting Incident podcast. Um, that is the longest show I have running. It's been going for 233 episodes. My I host. God. Yeah, I've been doing this four and a half years. So it's, uh, yeah, I've racked up a few. Um, my second podcast. Huh? Got me beat by a year. I'm three and a half years in. Good job. Yeah. It, it, uh, once you start, you're like, how many different things can I turn into one? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the, the second podcast I do is a trans-specific podcast called The Sister Getting Out of Hand, and I host oh, that with my, fr my friends Ari and Eli. Awesome. That's a great name. I love the name for it. Yeah, we found it on a Tumblr meme, and we're like, that'd be a great name for a show, and then we could just, like, use it randomly, but only we would know, you know? <laughs> so, um, And then I do two uh, media kind of podcasts one is specifically about the show fargo uh that one's called okay then and the <laughs> other is the one you're probably familiar with that i host with brian as well as natalie and my partner murphy uh but i heard about it which the concept behind that is 
Uh, my partner Murph grew up in basically a cult, and uh, you know there were so many different instances of like, oh right, you, you don't, you've never seen Back to the Future, you don't get that reference. Like, so we was like, why don't we just like start a show about that? And then of course Brian heard we were gonna watch movies, and we're like, can I hang out? Sure. <laughs> so, and then we added Natalie because uh, she is the producer of a movie called Science Moms, and she wanted to watch Reality Bites and apparently enjoyed that enough to, like, want to hang out with us again, <laughs> so. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so you're, you're covering many ends of a spectrum with those four shows. I love it. Um, you know, and, and as somebody, you know, like I said, pre-recording, who's trying his best to be the most inclusive and best ally to everyone as I can, you know, um, I, I've got some close friends that are trans, and are just learning now that they are. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, it, it's just so good to have more outlets and to meet people through Twitter and through these shows that I can point them to, you know, as they figure out who they are. Cause aren't we always figuring out who we are? That's, you know, something that people forget. It doesn't just get handed to you. Um, and you get, you know, it's a one and a zero. That's it. No, it's like, no, this is learning yourself is, is a lifelong thing. Yeah, and I had to do it up in deep red central Pennsylvania. So, uh, you know, it's not just uh, knowing who you are, but it's also fighting through what everybody is telling you that you are and the political pressure as well as safety. Because even as someone who is relatively privileged within the trans community, I just can't go places and not, you know, be aware of who's around me at all or I can't, you know, if I'm traveling, I can't go just go into any rest stop and not worry. So, uh, you know, that there's so much more than just, oh, I feel like X or I feel like I was, you know, the, the, the cliche is the wrong body. And it's like, there's so much more to dig through than that. And anybody who is on that journey or has, you know, found themselves through that kind of thought process. Like there's just that unspoken understanding with people who are already there. Cause it's like, yeah, I get it. Nope. You know, certain other people haven't been through this and there's kind of that camaraderie right away where it's like, all right, you're one of my people. We're cool. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's amazing. Cause you know, any, everybody, has, or at least most people, if you're not, you know, just the most privileged human being that you could ever imagine, which I don't think that person exists, has some level of understanding and feeling, okay, if I, if I do this in this situation, I'm not accepted. But so much of that is so not important. Do you know what I mean? And they're not actually mm -hmm. in danger, you know, oh, you know, saying the wrong thing in class or wearing the wrong clothes or whatever. That's like the, you know, the majority or the not the majority, but you know, the people can relate to that, but like not like if you say or look or act a certain way that not only would you not be accepted, but someone's going to want to kill you, you know, or uh -huh. hurt or it, it just, it blows my mind that it's taken us this long and it's, you know, not that we haven't figured out, but it's taken us this long to be so outwardly accepting of that. And it disgusts me that there's people in the world that are like, oh yeah, no, it's just a fad. It's just a fad. They're trying to mess with our kids. You know, like I always heard growing up, I was in, you know, Catholic school growing up. So, you know, one step away from a cult, they just still let us be with our families. Um, but, you know, 
the the gay agenda is something you heard about all the time. Oh, they're trying to get your kids. It's like really, yeah. They're 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 trying they're trying to you know make sure that I'm happy. That that seems you know like such a terrible thing that I'm comfortable <laughs> and happy with my body. Wow, uh, wow. I I would hate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It just it, it it's so good getting to talk to people that that are in that are in that community because you need you need as many allies as you can get and anybody that's you know in any group or any community that's struggling or you know made a minority by somebody else or by the freaking systems in place that were hopefully just starting to break down a little bit god i hope (sighs) yeah there are times where you know i oh tumblr invented gender identity in 2009 and i'm like well, then why was I dressing as my true self in 2004? Was I just that ahead of the trend? Or did maybe trans people exist before the internet? Weird, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. And it always amazes me when, when you learn people that know about it and are accepting of it. You wouldn't expect. Like, I, I work with a couple of guys that are in their 70s, right? And mm-hmm. when this stuff starts being, you know, a topic of, you know, political elections and things and people start bringing it up and you realize it's like well i think that guy's pretty republican and you just expect you know that to be like the backwards way of thinking and then you talk to them they're like oh no i have i have a friend who who's trans and you know that happened in the 70s mm-hmm. you know i went and i went to their wedding you know what i mean i, I and I, I like officiated the wedding and everything and it's like and you know me and all of my you know gearhead you know car buddies you know and i'm like this amazes me and then I found him and he's like, oh, yeah. And he goes, screw freaking Trump and all this. And I'm like, wow, I did not expect this. OK, <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's th- we have to do that like literally all the time where we're finding out like, OK, someone's using the right words. I can be a little bit more myself. You know, it's it, you know, I can completely relate to that. But then there's the the other side where it's like. Where's the other shoe going to drop? Where is the part where they're going to tell me that like, oh, I accept you, but I really think you're black or I accept you, but I'm actively voting against the people who are trying to dehumanize you. And like, so it's uh, it's a constant state of anxiety that I don't think uh, I don't want to say most people, but I don't think a lot of people are constantly having to worry when they're about to uh, have the other shoe drop on them simply for existing. And I think existing within certain marginalized communities like that, 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 you know, being a trans person, you kind of wake up every day and just go, okay, uh, what shitty just happened? And if it did, okay, I'm going to see 90 posts about it, and at least half of the people who post it have awful friends who are going to say things, and then somebody's going to tag me into that argument because it's like, oh, I'm going to call on the trans person I know. Hey, uh, here's here's my shitty bigoted uncle. Um, Can you tell him why you're not a degenerate freak? And it's just... Oh, it, it, it's exhausting because the same conversation comes up every single time something like that happens. That That's the question that I, I have to help answer a lot. And again, we, we all do it. Like we all make that mistake of, well, I have that one friend that can help in this situation. It's just different when you go to them person to person and ask for support. Like, hey, how do I handle this? How do I talk to that? 
putting someone on the spot constantly and you having to do everybody else's heavy lifting for them when you're still figuring yourself out and how to wade through this is, I can only imagine exhausting, exhausting at the minimal level and damn near, um, you know, depression and anxiety inducing it at a higher level. Right. Cause it's like, is the whole world, even the people that are my friends and my allies, are they still just stereotyping me into this box? Yeah, and I, I, I think some of it is how the the conversations in at least the last five years or so have come around to, hey, that's not your story to tell. You don't know what this is like. And of yeah. course, like if, if you're white, you don't know what it's like to be black and you shouldn't be. Uh, you know, haranguing people in a way that doesn't meet with your understanding of the world. But at the same time, there's that labor aspect of it, too, uh, especially uh, putting out as much content as I do. Uh, you know, after a couple of years, it was like, what, you don't have a reference of mine by now? I haven't covered this yet. You need me to come, you know, say it uh, to your to your shitty uncle in a Facebook group. So it got to the point where I had to be like, look, if you're going to tag me into an argument, ask me first. It's not that hard. And hey, maybe I'm already feeling kind of bad today. And I don't want to be misgendered and called a slur, uh, you know, randomly out of nowhere. So like consent, you know, because, you know, I told you in the beginning, I've I've written books. I, I've done speeches and I do two weekly podcasts and two bi-weekly podcasts. So at some point it's like, yeah, I kind of already covered this. Maybe you could just use that. <laughs> no, that and that, that's a really good, important thing. I, I, I find myself, you know, discussing this. My, my wife is in a lot of, um, you know, we're, we're very pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine have having kids is, is a big world out there and there's conspiracies and then there's science and there's this. So she's very good within that group. She's in a group of like pro and against of like, you know, helping and advocating. But I always try to remind, you know, her, she asks questions, you know, of course you get into groups of people pig piling when someone gets, you know, misgendered or misrepresented. And the question always comes up of like, you know, well, how do I, how do I, find out what somebody wants or how they want to be treated in that situation. And I'm like, the best thing to do is step away from the social aspect of it and contact them directly Mm -hmm. because anything, and and, you know, we all forget this, you know, anything done in a public forum is going to get reactionary backed into a corner. Like you said, maybe you've been called something terrible 25 times already that day, or just woke up not wanting to friggin' deal with it. You know what I mean? And you just get set off and that doesn't help, um, you know, person to person conversation that you could say, Hey, I honestly don't know what to say in this scenario. And I'd like your help is a lot different than I need the entire history of every conversation you've ever had. And I'm putting it on a public forum and I'm calling you the big, strong person of this type. And I need you to come in and help bully this person out. It's like, it's way different. Right. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, how am I going to spend my energy? Am I going to most likely be met with vitriol and anger? Is what am I going to get out of this other than maybe this friend feels like, hey, that's a good person to go to? And there's merit in that. And I appreciate them thinking of me, but I don't want to be put in a situation 
where all of a sudden I got a Facebook tag and a comment and it's like, hey, uh, this person says you're the worst kind of people in the world and you're not who you say you are and you're really just deranged child molesters. Can you talk them out of it? It's like, no, I don't. I'm not spending my energy on something that is already a losing battle and is likely going to end with me being dehumanized, sworn at and called the worst things in the world. Because guess what? If I want to do that, I could walk outside. <laughs> so <laughs> if, I, if I'm going to use that energy, it's going to be something productive and not Facebook for the most part. Right. And also the, the worst possible thing you can end up in there, I feel, as, as a friend of somebody's, is you're now getting into an argument sometimes with someone who's still, you know, family to them which means they're stuck in that situation of at the end of the day, is this someone that they still have to spend time with? Which means if it gets real heated, sometimes you as the friend can get more hurt because that friend might get pulled into a situation where they have to, you know, talk the situation down or you find out, oh, you know, they're still hanging out with that person or, you know, accepting of some of the ways they're being. And then you get yourself hurt. And it's just a complete mess. I've, I've been in the middle of that way too often where it's like, well, you know, yeah, my bigoted, you know, uncle or whatever is still my uncle and I haven't completely cast them out at this point. And so I'm stuck in this really tough, even though it should be easy to just say, hey, go pound sand. You're treating my friend awful. You know, sometimes people choose family and that just hurts even harder. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's certain ways that I've had to do that where you know I'll, I'll be very polite if someone is genuinely interested or trying to learn like, the, you know, I don't just go in guns a blazing and the F-bombs dropping. But I also cultivated myself as someone who is very verbose, like the first words of my first book were fuck you. So, you know, I just kind of put that right out there. So that nobody's going to go, hey, uh, this person's being a dick. Maybe Marissa will be polite and civil if they're acting like that. And it's like, no, you call me in when you want me to call that person a taint stiffer or something. You know, you just don't you don't ask me for certain things. So I think a, a lot of it is setting boundaries and, you know, cultivating enough of a reputation in a sense of, you know, as much or little as a public persona that I am, where it's like, okay, uh, Marissa probably doesn't want to come here, but I bet she could explain it to this person who genuinely wants to know, maybe I should ask her. And it, it, like you like you said, you, you take that person aside and you go, hey, uh, are, are you able to have a conversation right now? Can you help me out with something? And I'm a lot more likely to answer than, uh, you know, without my consent being put in the middle of a dehumanizing argument. So well, uh, there's approaches. I've never understood tagging someone into something that's already a hate filled conversation. Cause even if that person, you know, is really good with the block button or, or whatever you're setting them up to see or get vitriol against them that they didn't ask for, you know, right. <laughs> like, Oh, well, that, that was an interesting way to, to start things. I didn't mean to throw you right into a hot button topic like that, <laughs> but it I, comes but I, up every time interviewed i'm not <laughs> no that's okay no I, I appreciate the insight i just you know what like i said i just want to want to make sure it's a it's a fun and comfortable conversation but you know what um what what got you to today what got what, what got marissa to the stuff that she's doing you know what i mean like you, you said you grew up in red state pennsylvania or red country pennsylvania 
Yeah. So, you know, there's that old cliche that there's Philadelphia on one side, Pittsburgh on the other, and Alabama in the middle. And holy shit, is that true? It's so Um, true. Yeah, like where Brian and I grew up, uh, even this election, I think, uh, went Republican by 11 points. So it's not like I was, you know, just outside of a major city or something like that. Um, And of course. I always knew something was different. Like, you know, my parents always said, like, uh, we really thought you were going to be a normal quote unquote boy or whatever. And even from like age seven, I just didn't understand that and, you know, just didn't do the things that were stereotypically associated with the gender I was assigned. But I didn't have the vocabulary or support network to put that together. So everyone just pretty much assumed that I was gay. And that's not the best thing to be assumed as in the 90s in deep red Pennsylvania. So uh, combine that with the fact that I was also undiagnosed autistic and I was just dealing with uh, a level of not understanding what everybody was talking about and also not feeling the way I was supposed to feel according to everyone around me. And it didn't go well. It really didn't. Like, I I was at pretty much asked to leave politely uh, from high school at, you know, 10th grade. But then they sent me down to Florida to live with my grandmother where you can get your GED at 16 and I aced it. So, like, it wasn't that I wasn't capable or willing to do the work. It was that, hey, um, maybe that place where she's being tortured every day uh, isn't conducive to a learning environment. And, you know, yeah, I worked, get yeah. that 100 percent. So, you know, I worked retail. Uh, I tried to go to community college a couple times, but I just it wasn't the right time, wasn't the right place. And I went back again at 26 And it it was like, oh, oh, I get it now. Like, this is how to do a class. This is how to do homework. And now that I'm 26, I'm not hung up on all the things that 16, 17, 18-year-old kids usually are. So I pretty much aced everything. And the only place I applied once I got into Honor Society because of my GPA was the University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, that was two hours away, but I still commuted it was about a hundred miles each way. And Whoa. I commuted that for four years. And while I was there, just certain things kept coming up. Uh, you know, uh, it was foreign language class where the professor pulled me aside and said, it's not your effort. It's not, you're not studying. I can see that you are. It's the disparity between your ability to comprehend and your ability to process and your ability to produce. And to make a long story short, that got me meeting with neurologists and pretty much that's how I discovered I was autistic because when they did the right test, they were, they were pretty much able to go, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, you're, I was always an extremely uh, quick student, someone who, you know, the first person to raise a hand, everything like that, and I aced all my tests, but I always had difficulty processing certain things or sitting still in class or certain ways of learning, certain ways of speaking. And once I got on the appropriate medicine and started understanding the way my brain worked, it was like, holy shit, it could have been this easy the whole time. So I like to tell people, it's like uh, some of them accuse like the medicine I'm on, which is also for ADHD. And they say like, oh, you're, you're on speed. You're just cheating. And it's like, 
I got halfway through an Ivy League school with no high school education. Yeah, I'm not cheating. <laughs> oh well, hey, to 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 put a, a a stop right there, just as as a parent of of an autistic child, um, I I feel I feel for you so hard that you didn't realize that about yourself until you were much older. I also know that God finding finding a neurologist at all, even you know however long ago that was, um, that that was able to diagnose that. So many people try to avoid that, even doctors. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it it just gives me such a smile across my face to know that you know we we've found this early on about my daughter, and she's got the right doctors, and so um, you know that we're helping early. So, you know, and, and again, like, like every generation is just going to have it better. You know what I mean? We're learning more about, cause everybody is somewhere on this silly spectrum, you know what I mean? And just realizing what additional aid somebody needs is so empathetic and so human and pretending that we don't need help. And that we're not, you know, the, the sum of all of our parts in our community and the help that we get, and that everybody can just handle everything on their own. I, I love that the world is changing to accept that a bit more, you know? Yeah. And my parents, when I told them that I was autistic, were like, well, we got you tested for that in elementary school. And I'm like, yeah, you got me tested in 1992. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's changed a bit since then. But at the same time, they weren't going to look at something like that with somebody like me because I you know, did well in school up until a certain point. So they weren't looking for it. But once I, I I always say the thing that I have in common with autism and being trans is you kind of have to start from the beginning and learn how to be a person again. And I managed to go through both of those things at a relatively similar time. Uh, So, you know, I was in the closet as trans for most uh, a little over half my life because I didn't have the words. I thought I was a drag queen because that was the only word I had for the longest time. Yep. And, uh, you know, once I got, I, I finally, I got, I was in a school that had trans inclusive healthcare. And even oh. then it took me like two years to have the guts to go in because it's like, you know, I'm finally admitting it to myself and this is going to, put me in some level of danger and I finally did and started transitioning and you know medically I had you know got, gotten my name and everything else years before but it was then it just so happened to be about three months before the 2016 election because I have amazing timing <laughs> so yeah hey you know that thing I've just realized that I am this entire campaign is against that. Oh, (laughs) and not just that, but I was at his alma mater. So like there's that added layer of it. And I, there was a, a bunch of Westboro like protesters that dropped in on our campus a lot because that was emboldened in the fall of 2016. And I just happened to get on video one of one of those times because I was like, well, I'm 31. I don't give a shit what this clown has to say. The more stuff he says to me, the less he's going to harass one of these 17-year-old kids that he's made cry. So I just trolled him for like an hour and a half. And 
uh, he asked me if I had the guts to be judged on the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, I just handed someone my phone and I said, film this, go ahead. And, you know, he asked me the most over the top questions, trying to prove that on a scale of one to 10, how likely was it that I was going to hell? And it was so over the top. And, you know, after a whole bunch of questions, he's like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you're a nine, you're going to hell, but you're good. But at least you're honest about it. Unlike everybody here. And I said, you want me to make it a 10? I'm transgender. Fuck you. Yes. And that's how I came out. <laughs> that's awesome. Good for you. Like that's, I, I, as someone that just has learned throughout my life, my own, you know, comfort with being outward and in public, you know, um, obviously from a way more privileged spot, as far as I know at the current time in my life, I'm a straight white man. I, I have a wife, I have kids. Doesn't mean I'm not comfortable and open, you know, with everybody's thoughts and the thoughts that, you know, who knows if I realize more about myself in life, but just being comfortable enough in public to confront someone like that is, is just such an awesome thing. And the, and, and to feel comfortable and safe, obviously you're not a hundred percent safe as we've seen, with these damn protests and um, how awful the other side acts towards just wanting human rights. But, um, you know, it, it's just so cool. Cause you know, you said you, you know, you were basically asked nicely to leave high school and I seventh, eighth and ninth grade for me, Catholic junior high school. I never went for more of a 180 of realizing like, it's not me. Like, the people I am surrounded with are awful. The teachers down to the kids, like this isn't right for me. And I told my parents, you know, I, I'm smart. I want to be an engineer. I had to take the same math three years in a row. And I'm surrounded by people that treat me like absolute crap all mm -hmm. day long. And, you know, and God, imagine like if, if there was actually something, you know, that was in a group that they hated about me other than just normal, like childish, like, Hey, you're fat, ha ha ha, you know, whatever dumb stuff like that. I couldn't even imagine what they would have done to somebody like that. And so yeah. I, I needed to escape it. And then I ended up in public high school, which my parents were like afraid would be hard for us. Cause we were in, you know, a rough urban area and I excelled and I came into myself, you know, when I started like being like comfortable, you know, you know, public performance and karaoke and speaking and all this stuff that the, the schooling up to that point had made me feel I wasn't good enough for. And not, not that it's the same level of relation at all, you know, but it comes from the same place. It comes from that society making you question if you're good enough and if you're worthwhile. And I think that's the worst thing we do to each other. Mm -hmm. you know? And my, my philosophy of activism has always connected with what you just said right there, which is making our experience accessible. I mean, because you may not know 100% what it was like to be in that situation, but if I can communicate enough of it that you're able to go, oh, I recognize that from my own life, it was kind of like that, that then, then I'm doing something right. And there, there are trans people who are like, if you're not trans, you have no idea what it's like. End of story. But I yeah. don't think we're going to make progress that way. I don't think if we just shoot down anybody who tries to relate to us that we're going to endear ourselves. So anytime that, you know, uh, like the process of trying to get approved for surgery or the process of 
uh, going through name changes. Like when I had, when I went through what it took to get my, my name legally changed, maybe uh, Mrs. Dottie down the road doesn't understand what that's like. But when she heard the difficulty I had going through the TSA and then matching up my name with something, they were, she was able to go, oh, I remember the time when I got married and changed my name and it didn't match up. That's a moment of empathy. Bingo. Empathy, empathy, I think, is the biggest thing that we societally swept under the carpet for 80 plus years, at least in this nation, if not more, um, you know, God, hundreds, if it, it's, it's, but, but, you know, it was big in the, like, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, this, you know, man up type mentality, like post world war, like, you know, n- no time for being weak, no time for being this. And it's like, no time for accepting someone else's struggle is basically what you're saying. And, yeah. And, and it's, it's terrible that, you know, why why and why that has to be politicized why it has to be that like one side is the side that's allowed to be empathetic and the other side isn't it's like yeah i don't i don't need everybody to think the exact same way you know what i mean but i'd like you to respect and understand where i'm coming from you know Mm -hmm. at least not think that i'm worthless because i am that way and jesus that should be so common and easy to understand. And, and the thing is, is people are so adamant about it that it's not, it's a switch, a switch flips. It's like, no, those things are wrong. Well, tell me why. Maybe I can, maybe we can get to a common understanding of why you feel that way. Oh no, the Bible says it is, or, oh no, this politician says it is, or, oh no, my dad said it is. I go, I don't care what they said. What do you think? Yeah. You know, and, and then you throw in like the fact that uh, specifically as a trans woman, like we were the go-to punchline for shit comedians for decades. Oh and, yeah. You know, overcoming the fact that the only time we were ever represented were uh punchlines or serial killers. You know, like how many 90s comedies were like, "Oh, that's a male comedian in a dress. I bet there's going to be a dick joke." Like it was so hackneyed. And, you know, just to see the people who double down on that shit now, uh, not going to name certain Netflix stand up specials, but I think you know who I'm talking about, where it's just like, you know, all the jokes that you can come up with, anything that you can possibly say, I guarantee I have already heard it 20,000 times just walking down the fucking street. So... You know, uh, oh, what, what do you, do you identify as an attack helicopter? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I've never heard that one before. Congratulations. You own me. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, it, and it, it's, it's infuriating when, when you think back on that stuff, because especially, and, and this is, this is a good teaching method too, for people is they go, well, you know, they made jokes like that in the seventies and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. Let's let's check in with Eddie Murphy today. Let's mm-hmm. check in with Robin Williams before he passed away. You know, what you'll probably find is, yeah, you know, they don't deny that they created that body of work, but they're probably going to be empathetic towards the fact that that was then. I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll, they'll come out and say, here's how I've done better. If, if they have done better, you know what I mean? Some of them haven't. Some of them just keep doubling down. But 
it's that when you like when you have a comedian, that's like a perfect example to show someone how you're not owned. It's not a death of the author. You're constantly changing and adapting as a human. You can be ignorant once and get better. You today is the day that you can stop being that shitty way. Like within reason, like if you're going around killing people and passing laws that kill people, you should be in friggin' jail as far as I'm concerned. But if you, if you make an ignorant comment in a stand-up special, you can be better than that. And when they're confronted, they just double down. Oh, well, well I guess you need your safe space and oh, well, cancel culture. And it's just like, just stop, just stop mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm a queer trans woman and I'm 35. So it's like, I remember a time where I probably said some of the stuff that is being said to me today. And it's like, we all had to start from there because nobody was born with a complete understanding and knowledge of all the areas of social justice. But it's how do you react to it? How do you... Uh, you know, deal with new information or someone confronting you or, you know, do you have learning experiences or do you just assume you already know everything? Because, you know, four and a half years, for instance, of putting out material, I know I've said some things that maybe I shouldn't have or in retrospect, I look back on and go, oh, that wasn't good. But you own it. You learn from it. You put, you know, you, you learn and then you don't do that again. And then you're able to tell other people, hey, I learned that that's kind of shitty. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And it's it's a growing process. I don't I don't ever want people to think that like they can't come to me, for instance, and be like, I used to think that the height of comedy was Big Mama's house or Mr. Mrs. Doubtfire or, you know, any example you can think of or Eddie Murphy's Delirious or, you know, anything like that. And it's like, yeah, and Eddie Murphy regrets being a, an incredible homophobe at a time when he thought AIDS was transmitted by kissing people. But at the same time, hey, uh, remember when he was caught with a trans sex worker in the late 90s? I wonder what happened to that trans sex worker. Oh, she mysteriously disappeared a few months later. I wonder what that was about. Like, yeah. it's. You know, you go down that rabbit hole and everybody's quick to jump on the forgive them for what they said, etc. But it's like, what happened to the people that they hurt? What happened to the people who got up? You know, uh, another recent example with uh, a certain comedian who had three straight transphobic Netflix comedy specials where like at one point they pan to a token trans woman who's laughing at his jokes. That trans woman committed suicide. Like it's. It's so awful to, to 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 put that stuff into context when we're so focused on the person who isn't learning anything. And and that's exactly what I mean. Is like check in with them and find out where they're at. Like, and you'll you'll it's a double edged sword, right? You could find out, oh, they've bettered themselves, or it's like, no, they kept doing some really sketchy shit. Oh, mm-hmm. or or they or they actually physically harmed people. Um, but, but at the same time, you or I could say, hey, in 1993, I laughed my ass off at Ace Ventura Pet Detective and still go, you know what? The fact that the crying game was already gross in its, you know, hey, this is what's going on. And then that doubled down on it and turned it into a joke might be, you know, we can look back at that and go, yeah, we kind of want to just, you know, not do that anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, 
And I can look at that at the same time and go, yeah, I'll admit I laughed my butt off at that movie in 1993. It's, so it's, a, it's a shame that it had to have that plot line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that, and that, and who knows how many people that hurt, who knows how many people Mrs. Doubtfire hurt, even though I still think it's, you know, Robin Williams is, is an absolute genius and his comedic performance. in that is great. And the inclusion of people like Harvey Firestein, who unfortunately always seems to show up to be the brunt of a joke, even though he's, you know, one of the biggest advocates for, you know, all marginalized groups, right? It's, it's just such a complicated time in the nineties. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's one of the things I like to do, uh, cause you mentioned, we mentioned at the beginning that I sort of have my, my hands in a lot of different areas. Yes. And part of that is because, you know, at Penn, like I was talking about, like I had three degrees from Penn. One was in English, one was in cinema and media studies, and one was in cultural anthropology. And I've also been a theater kid since I was 10 and took intensive immersive acting while I was there. So all of a sudden, I'm in this intense political era where I just came to admit publicly that I'm trans. What can I do? And it's like, well, I can write. I can perform in front of people. I can write speeches. And I have all of these culturally anthropological ways of understanding how people work. And I also watch and have analyzed a, a shit ton of movies. So one thing I tend to do in my public speeches is point those things out in a manner that I can relate to people. So, you know, Ace Ventura, for instance, uh, when I'm talking about uh, representation in media, I'll be like, yeah, I can see how people might have thought that was funny, you know, whatever, because uh, homophobia was all the rage in the mid-90s. But think about it now. Think about the fact that, like, it's not just that he gets grossed out because he thinks he kissed a guy. How does he react to the idea of kissing a guy slash a trans woman? He has to burn all of his clothes, take a shame shower, take a plunger to the face, and throw up until he can't anymore. Like, do you think that might have reached a person who was young and trans and gone, oh, that's how people are going to react to me? You know, and it did. All of that combined with how I was treated in school knew I was I, I knew I, I once again I didn't have the words but I knew I was trans when I was a teenager but I saw how people like me were treated and I was terrified so it took me so long to come to grips with that not because I didn't know who I was but because I saw how people like me were treated I saw that we were just the go-to punchline I saw that you know, if people found out about me, they might, you know, want to throw up and burn their clothes. And that takes a, that takes a toll on a person. It's it, it completely blows my mind, you know, that, that the world is that ignorant because it's like, you know, think about it. Like you said, you know, when the whole bathroom thing came up, it's like, OK, so I'm going to walk into a bathroom, a identifying as who I am and someone's going to think they're in danger of me. Like I, I feel in danger of everybody. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is harder for me than it is for you seeing me in there. You know what I mean? Is the way I look at it. Like, what is this whole, 
every everybody is just so afraid of everybody else because they've been catered and seasoned by stuff like that where you know like, like you said in the 90s who knows the steve odekirk wrote that movie steve odekirk is is you know he's grown up as a comedian you know he's he's an ally i've seen him talk about stuff but then that's just that's the go-to punchline like you said i don't think there was people attempting to hurt someone with writing that the way they did but it's awful i mean mm-hmm. jim Carrey reacts in that situation like a rape victim right you know that's it, that's terrifying when you look back on it none of that is funny you yeah. know and it, but we all laughed our asses off then oh look he got duped <laughs> it's like why does why does this person have to be villainous like okay yeah your your trade your your realization of how did ray finkel disappear could still be that ray finkel you know reassigned himself as a woman that's fine let it be a subplot that ray finkel realized that he was always that way let it be something that is actually kind of a point of empathy for the character because something terrible happened to that character instead the movie just goes yeah and that's why they're crazy and mm-hmm. you're just like uh no <laughs> like yeah. there's gonna be more to it than that <laughs> and you know that one of the biggest things we hear as trans people is mental illness and it's like wow i wonder why you think that way maybe it's because it's how many well silence of the lambs ace ventura the crying game sleepaway camp how many examples can i name right off the top of my head where it was like oh this person uh pretends to be their mother and kills people or you know uh oh that person was really uh, not that person or, oh, that's so gross. And it's like, yeah, there's a person there. And why are we so scared of that person? What is it about you that you're so afraid of being quote unquote duped? Is it that you secretly look those things up on Pornhub and feel like that might make you gay? Why would that be a bad thing? Oh, because you beat up gay people because you're scared of these feelings. Like it's it, you deep de- you dig down like that, and you know I can just take pretty much anybody who's ever said awful things to me, and it's like I wonder what your porn up search says. I wonder why you're so adamant to to make sure that you're not. You know, we've got to make sure to identify ourselves so that you're not accidentally attracted to us. And it's like, do you think maybe because that's you're actually attracted to us and are afraid of what that might mean for you. Don't take that out on us. That's, that's, that's the thing I think that is the craziest thing. Like, why is it? A, I got duped into being attracted to thing. If you're the way I look at it is if you're attracted to someone, that's not that person's fault. Do you know what I mean? Like that it's, it, they're, they're not committing a crime because you're attracted to them. It's like, Okay, so, you know, you you believe you're a straight man and you found out that the person you were attracted to is a trans woman. Well, guess what? As far as you're concerned, if you still need to, like, have a friggin' label on yourself, you're attracted to a woman because Mm -hmm. that person realized they were always a woman. This is not. And again, you know what? What what else? So you're attracted to a guy. You know what I mean? Like, why? Why is that something that has to be such a level of discomfort for everybody? You know, yeah, and, and I, you I, know, and I, we, we and I grew know up in the I, age where gay was used as a, as a pejorative for everything. Yes, so yes, yes, it, it's true. But it's like it, it's just I, I'm learning, and again, we're all learning. It's always learning. It's just these things we were set up to be afraid of are not always 
the thing to actually be afraid of, mm-hmm. you know, but you got to learn it. People need to learn it. And, and part of that is empathy. Part of that is someone understanding that, you know what, you might be ignorant, but maybe you're not ignorant out of like anything dangerous within you. You just don't know, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and if people have a willingness to learn, then holy shit, it's just, it's, it's exhaustive, but I know, I know I'm learning. I'm learning every day. Yeah. You know? And there's, there's also the fact that when you're on the receiving end of a lot of that, you're more conditioned to expect it. And we were talking earlier about how people can surprise you, but that happens to me too all the time. Not just in the sense it's like, oh, somebody's using the right words and is trans friendly when I wasn't expecting it. But the fact that I'm also an athlete and yeah. that topic you know, was the next pillar uh, where we had to make sure that trans people aren't allowed to have any fun because it's quote unquote cheating. And once again, Joanna Man or, you know, whatever shitty movie that taught. And it's like, why do you think that any athletically superior to to otherwise that, that that would make us cheating? And it's like, I'm so ready for that. And when I saw that the football league that I play in was trans inclusive, and I was still ready for some version of that argument because I'm tall. So, you know, it was like, oh, am I going to be told that it, it's an unfair advantage? Am I going to be told any of these shitty things that I hear on a daily basis? Not a single player in that entire league that I've met has said one bad word to me. Not a single one. So one of my go-to things is, yeah, uh, you you person who has never watched a woman's sport except to complain that a trans person is participating and then you're going to go right back to not caring about it. Uh, this is my team and I'm just Marissa to them. I'm just, you know, a person who is playing on this team. I, the fact that I'm six, three means that I might be able to catch a ball a little easier, but it doesn't mean it's an unfair advantage. Like one of my friends growing up in high school, uh, her name is Carla. Uh, she is six foot four and played in the WNBA, but I have an unfair advantage over her in basketball. Go fuck yourself. It's just, you know, it's rooted in so much more maliciousness than that. But well, cause the people I'm playing with don't care. Because everything up till now has been gendered, and that and and that's the worst part of it. You know, I in high school, um, there was a girl um, in my class that ended up playing on the varsity men's football team. Mm-hmm. It was awesome, and she, you know, you know, just was a badass. You know what I mean? And and held her own. And I remember that being like, well, my son can't hit her as hard. She's like, bring it. You, you know what I mean? Like this is, hit me as hard as you want. It's football. There's rules that protect me. And you, other than that, let's go for it. And she was a star, you know what I mean? And it, it just, it doesn't have to be like, we grow up. I grew up playing soccer and baseball on teams up until, you know, you get to an age where it's competitive that were it, it's girls, guys didn't matter who it was. And I wish sports could be that way. You know what I mean? I get I get also that, you know, at some point that there needs to be a classification for whatever reason that the world is established. But why is it an unfair advantage just because of your gender or what gender you were at one point? Anyone, anyone can be six foot four and weigh 300 pounds. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That's at that point, you know, and it's like the Olympics have figured out what makes the, the 
quote unquote advantage offset itself. It's like, I think they know better than you who saw some comedies once and also thinks that men are inherently superior to women as athletes. Like, do you think uh, maybe part of that is because boys and men are treated like they have to play sports or they're worthless and all the money in the world is put into it to support them? The fact that collegiate athletes, uh, you know, male football players are pretty much given free rides to school and have the chance to become millionaires. But if girls play sports past the age of seven, they're called lesbians and pretty much discouraged out of their hobby. Do you think maybe that makes a difference in test scores for athletic athletic competition? The world is a terrible place. (laughs) It really is. That's why I'm glad Uh, I with a bunch of girls and nobody cares like it's it's just so relieving that it's not like the silly powder puff thing from high school you know (laughs) like watch 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 the girls go have fun and pretend to be the boys (laughs) oh god (laughs) (laughs) my my favorite part of that is that the guys all got to be the cheerleaders and i always thought that was hilarious because it's like Mm -hmm. because they because they took it seriously. They, it wasn't a joke. They got out there and it's like, no, you know, we're, we're going to dress in the outfits and look as silly as we make the girls look when we're, when we're playing football. And I'm like, you know what? Good job, guys. Like, own that. You know what I mean? Like, go for it. Absolutely. But yeah. Oh, oh God. Um, so, so Brian uh, in, informed me um, that, that you are a Gilmore Girls fan. I am. <laughs> So, and again, I, I, I do, I do have to get back to work eventually, but I, I did want to bring that up because I, I have, you know, we've been talking about changing and growing up and as, as a guy who was 16, 17 years old, when that show started, um, it was ingrained. That was a show that we made fun of. I never saw it mm-hmm. when I was 17. I had a friend, a really good friend who, who I hope listens to this show. He's moved out to California, but he was obsessed. And we used to always joke, you know, you're, and, and, and this is me admitting some awfulness that I've done in my life. Cause I feel like, you know, we're, we're having an open conversation, but you know, we all worked at blockbuster together and we'd say, you know, the only reason a guy would like that show is to get laid. Ha 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 ha. You're doing it for a girl. Ha ha. You know, these, these terrible stereotypes. Right. So I, you know, many, many years later, um, you know, got into a relationship and I am now married to, um, to, to my wife and she loves that show. She got into it later too. She, I don't think she watched it when it was originally on. And so I started watching it like 10 times now, you know, you put it on and you just go through it and it is a friggin' delight. Mm -hmm. And I would have loved this show. This show is 100% the level of geeky that I am. Um, and I cannot believe that my, you know, stereotypes and ignorance of that time kept me away from it. And so I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that I am sorry that I felt that way, but I, I love that show. And I wanted to talk because did you watch it when it was originally on? I did. You did. Okay. And so that was 2000. So were you, um, aware of, of who you are today then? Was that like, you know, the. The, I just I, I haven't put quite a date to you know the transition yet. Sure. So I I I first got the name of Marissa in 2004, but I was always the person like in high school. I had makeup put on me by the girls all the time, and once again, I didn't have the words, but I yep. knew I knew I was one of the girls. I just didn't have the words or know that there were options. 
that I could take. And that a lot of that had to do with the context that I was in. But you know, it wasn't just Gilmore Girls that like really started making me go, I relate to this so much more than say Family Guy or right. you know, uh, other things that made fun of that show. And it took me a while to put that together. So, you know, I'm a teenager watching that and it's like, well, why do I relate to these women so much more than the people I'm supposed to look like and supposed to want to be like? Why do all the people who I'm supposed to like make fun of this? And I worked at Blockbuster, not to mention Movie Gallery and Suncoast around that time. So I know the conversations you were having. And of course, there was a certain objection that put into that just to maintain not being tormented at work all the time. So yeah. uh, I, I get where you're coming from. But, you know, the, watching that show again when I first started to be public and realizing just how much I related to it, not because I just like intelligent writing and quirky characters. But it's like, Me too. I relate to Rory Gilmore in a way that I didn't realize, but like I subconsciously knew, but I didn't realize it's like, oh, a girl who prefers books and isn't really that into boys, despite the fact that she seems to end up with the, them and also ends up at an Ivy League school despite having a poor parent, uh, you know, whatever. And it's kind of like, I think I get it now. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, me, me growing up in waspy New England, um, I, I latched right on to all of all of that subtext in the show of the, you know, even though her parents, um, uh, Lorelai's parents are rich, you know, they still act they're still in their own community. I love that the show always breaks down that they're a bit still looked down on in their own community, partially because of what happened with Lorelai and Christopher and all that. But you know, that like you're not quite as big and amazing as you think you are aspect of family coming into terms. I, I grew up in a family, half of my family carried themselves like they were the Kennedys, you know, a very they weren't rich, but they just carried themselves that way. Like everything was very formal and there was, and so growing up, I got to see that break down and got to see the realization that, you know, these people are people too, and it's not always happiness and everything. And I love the way that that show rips that apart and shows it for what it is. One of my favorite lines, I, I think it's from a, a later episode. I, I it was, uh, the actress that plays, um, uh, God, what Edward Herman's character, um, the the grandfather, Richard. Richard's mother also plays an aunt, and she comes out. It was during a party. You have to get back in there. You can't leave that many um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants waiting. They'll start forming new clubs, and that <laughs> just floors me every time I friggin' hear it. And because uh, it, it's just those aspects of the show. Because I mean, this was on right at the same time as like Seventh Heaven and Dawson's Creek and shows like that. And it's like the antithesis of those shows, you know, it is, but even though it was supposed to be one, you know, it's on ABC family or whatever it is, you know, but the show is like very real and very adult and it doesn't talk down to people. And I just love that about it. Yeah. And, you know, there's also a certain aspect of it with, you know, everybody in the house is trans. So like we have that unspoken understanding and 
rewatching, especially the beginning of that show, and it's like grandparents that want to be involved with you and are willing to step out for you, even if they're a bit snotty about it. You ungrateful woman. Like it's it's very hard to not see family members who are willing to put anything on the line they can for other family members and see people being like, oh my God, she's trying to control my life. And it's like, yeah, your family actually is there and cares about you. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a few groups of people in this house, for instance, that would, you know, just love to be paid that much attention by a family member. <laughs> I haven't no. seen my parents in two and a half years. Like it's it's oh, you know one of those oh. kind of things. But also the fact that it's it's a running joke on the show, not only that I make Gilmore Girls references, but I can impersonate both grandparents. So like sometimes they just tee me up for it. And it's just a delight to have like that kind of brand where like, oh, there's going to be a Gilmore Girls reference here. I wonder if we'll hear Emily or Richard. <laughs> you know, so it's 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 so multifaceted for me. No, it's just a wonderful show. My wife and I actually um, did the uh, virtual like whatever they call it, the the fan expo thing this year um, for it. It was awesome. They had, you know, a whole bunch of the actors on Mrs. Kim and um, Miss Patty. And it was it was it was awesome. I, I loved it. Yeah, do you think if the show was made in 2020 and not 2000, Miss Patty's a drag queen. Isn't she a drag queen? She acts like a drag queen. <laughs> and I, and like, I, I think the that played her got that. And I don't think the show necessarily. Well, I think the showrunners definitely got it because they seem to be the Paladinos seem to be very much like on the pulse of that community. But I think in 2000, they were just like, no, get it. Get, this needs to be a woman. Like, don't don't even have that. You know, someone in the show running was like, can't do that. It's 2000. We're not quite right. there yet. Because <laughs> like, you know, being a, a, to a token queer, I can just picture Miss Patty coming out with a feather boa and a giant peacock and just going, Oh, darling, you're going to go after that cishead bullshit again. Just, uh, uh, Rory, Rory, darling, just don't go after the boys, okay? They're just wastes of space. Just try women, honey. Try women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. It also would um, make all of her, like, times that they have her, uh, you know, outside watching all of the young men working. Um, even more interesting in the context of the show. <laughs> uh, oh, especially you know her who I am, darling. Right. Yeah, I see you up there. You're sending glances. You don't have to pretend. <laughs> and then, you know, my realization, you know, from watching it that I, I've, because I've always been a big James Gunn fan all the way back from his trauma days. And trauma is, God, if you want to talk about places that have set a bad example for, jokes against the trans and gay community they're 100 percent um responsible for a lot of it um but you know he he's learned too and his brother sean is just such a friggin' brilliant comedian and kirk kirk is such a caricature and yet so many people that i know all at the same time mm -hmm. on that show and and i love that character that's that's one of the things i, I love so much about the show is everybody is represented in that damn show even like at the beginning as they go along and start to be more uh you know less 2000 and more you know the more progressive time when the show's allowed to be more of it just like even the fact that you know 
you, you got like the, the trans and theater, you know, in, in gay community that Emily, even though she's, you know, comes from a bigoted place, she's got her hands in that community too, with like the, the dressers and people that she brings in and the guys she works with to, you know, create her table settings and everything. There's always that, yeah, she's your, you know, semi bigoted, rich conservative grandmother, but that also, yeah, she's paying them and they're working for her. So it's kind of gross, but there's also a level of respect there that if, you know, taking all of that away, she'd probably be, you know, okay with them. If you, you know, removed the fact that she basically has them working in her, you know, great big home plantation, you know, all the time, as it were. Right. I think it's a lot like Golden Girls in that way, yes. you know, because I, I think Emily Gilmore would have been a fascinating gold, Golden Girl because uh, she yeah. fits right in. You know, B. Arthur was this huge gay icon, despite, you know, whatever. And, you know, that some of that show hasn't aged well in terms of how it represents the gay and trans community. But at the same time, it was saying things like that long before most television stations were even willing to acknowledge that gay people exist. So, you know, there's context and process, but I, I think it's very similar where it was willing to it's like we can't go the whole way we know that won't be accepted and we'll get a lot of backlash but we can pepper it in and the people who know know and they can use that as moments to further educate people it sets it up very nicely like that and it doesn't beat you over the head with it and it also teaches you you know we were talking about making assumptions about people early on that's a great example of someone that you might make those assumptions about but people can surprise you and and that's that's what I love about Emily and Richard as characters is that show never stops having empathy for them mm-hmm. and showing that they have empathy for other people. It's so because you can tell the writing of those characters comes from a place of no, I've been completely messed up by people in my life just like them, but they're written as real people, so their arc actually has a reason. They're not just foils, you know. They're not just there to be to be the protagonist. Uh, the antagonists they're they're there to be real living humans that exist in this world and i i don't think i've i've seen a show on television that's been that i mean god you know the fact that they were writing two hour long scripts for an hour long show is part of it um you, you know and just saying it in double time but uh, you, you know it, it's it, it's it's an epic piece of of um of creation and the fandom it's got you know you, you want to talk about a more multifaceted fandom that I've ever met. It's the, the fans <laughs> that show you get everybody, right? You know, you, you get the people that still think of it as like a Dawson's Creek or seventh heaven kind of show that kind of still just relate to, you know, arguing about whether, you know, uh, what guy Rory should have been with is the only important part of the entire damn show. And it's like, okay, yeah, you can have that. That's fine. Like the, that's <laughs> definitely a, 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 a thing that happened in the show, <laughs> you, you know, but um, then there's just more, way more to it than that. What it says about society, what it says about being a kid in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. It kind of it incorporates all of that, you know. Yeah, and the, and then there's us, then there's us queers who are just you know watching uh, uh, Rory and Paris fight and going, oh, would you two just fuck already? <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> that 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 doesn't stop there, man. I I I said that to my wife all the time. I was like, do they do they make out at some point in this? She's like, I think they kiss in one of the episodes. And I'm like, no, come on. There's way more. There's way more there. <laughs> yeah. Paris, uh, you, know, you, you couldn't do that back then. 
pretty much. But those two had, it's kind of like Boy Meets World. It's like those two have more chemistry than Rory did with any of the boys she dated. Just like Corey and Sean have way more chemistry than Corey and Topanga. Like, it's a, you know, when, when you're a queer and you're forced to rely on mostly subtext before 2015, you find your places where it works. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Oh, and you know, it's awesome that you said uh, you worked at Blockbuster because that means you're going to have to come on a Talkbuster episode, guaranteed. Gladly. Gladly. We gotta, but um, I, I want to give you a, an opportunity now. First, I want to say that this has been amazing and we could talk for hours, it seems like, and I would love to have you on anytime and Talkbuster sure. for sure. And I can't wait to be on your show. Um, that's going to be awesome. Um, but uh, I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out, promote something, say whatever you want, um, and let you know that, you know, Hey, I, I got to get back to work. So that's my, my main thing or else we'd keep going, but go for it. Yeah. I look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. Um, and you know, you're going to be on our show, but I heard about it and I I'd love to have you on inciting incidents so we could continue this conversation on my show too. Uh, but yeah, like if you put me into your podcast player, Marissa McCool uh, or Marissa Alexa McCool, you're going to find stuff like I've been on, uh, you know, I do the four podcasts, like I said, inciting incident, the sister getting out of hand. OK, then. And but I heard about it. But I have been on uh, probably a couple thousand podcasts because I, I get interviewed a lot and I'm happy to. And, you know, I've been on uh, God awful movies. I've been on a bunch of shows that review movies or talk about skepticism or media or sometimes just comedy and things like that. So uh, I have 10 books available. I've written 10 since uh, uh, I, I told the story of coming out on video one month later after the election. I wrote a, a giant rant and that turned out to be my first book. And I've written 10, I wrote 10 books in this administration. Uh, anything from essays to political rants to poetry. I wrote an entire book called Tinder Profile Poetry, which is me just making poems out of Tinder profiles. So I'm I'm really all over the spectrum in in that regard. Um, you know, and when we have uh, public spaces again, I it, it, people are always like, "Why haven't you come and done a done a speech in my town?" It's like get someone to pay me to come out and I will, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not expensive, but I'm also trans. So I'm broke. <laughs> and it's like, uh, so there's that. Um, I play for the Minnesota pride football team. Uh, you can support that it's online. And, uh, if, especially if you're trans, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I have, I'm on all the social medias and, you know, as, as long as you approach me, in a respectful manner, whether you're trans or just curious or want to learn more, I'm probably going to talk to you. You know, it, I'm probably going to do my best that I can for you. But, you know, if you approach me calling me slurs or something, that's going to take a different road. But uh, especially if you're trans and you need somebody who has been there and, you know, maybe came out at Donald Trump's alma mater in the 2016 election season and has been there and traveled this country and you know had shit thrown at me in salt lake city during pride and i couldn't tell you how many places i've been in this country both on the positive and negative spectrums of things but i put myself out there so that other trans people don't have to so that people can come to me with their questions rather than bothering the one trans person they know who's just trying to get through their day and also that's not all i'm about like 
the fact that I'm trans is the least interesting thing about me. So if you want to chat Gilmore Girls or if you want to talk about Fargo or anything else like that, like I'm more than happy to do that. And I definitely do. Uh, I think the, the most recent episode of But I Heard About It, uh, I, I did my Richard Gilmore impression for uh, for the movie Booksmart. And uh, it's it's just set up like, hey, can you chastise these two girls like Richard Gilmore? And it's like, of course I can. <laughs> so that's uh, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, that's you know, just put Marissa McCool into your podcast player or whatever, and you're bound to find me and uh, find me on social media: Facebook, Marissa McCool, Twitter, the Purple Amazon, and pretty much all the other social medias. I'm on the Purple Amazon because I have. I've had purple hair since 2016 and the name stuck. So, uh, you know, reach out if you want. And I'm more than happy to be there for anybody, especially a trans person who needs somebody to talk to. I, I love it. That's, that's the most important thing is know is knowing who you can talk to. Um, and you know, my, my brother put it really well. He's, he's quite, um, politically vocal and he's my co-host on the Chipman brothers tangent, the first show that I've been doing. And the reason I podcast is because of him. He gifted it to me. He had me on a, you know, a show. He said, my fans want a podcast. We should do one. And then he said, Hey, this has been for you. Now you have an outlet. And I was like, no, no way. And I just got addicted, but he, he put something really interesting. People said, why do you, why do you, um, give in to people? Like, why do you respond when people come out and start hating on you? And he goes, somebody has to push the moles up through the hole so other people can whack them with a hammer. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, that's a really, really good way to put it, you know, is it, it's a lot of stress for him, but it helps the people cultivate a lot of block lists. Yes. <laughs> you know? um, so, you know, I, like I said, I love going into these podcasts cold and not having like a clear defined thing because I learned so much about you today and I am so honored to share the good side of podcasting out there with you, you know, for every, for every, you know, Joe Rogan, there's probably 80 of us, you know, that are, that are trying to, trying to do it the right way. And, um, I just, I really appreciate you. And I I thank you so much for, for, for sharing stuff with me today and, and hope you had a good time. I did. And I hope we continue this conversation soon. And to close out, would you like me to chastise you as Emily Gilmore? Um, yes. (laughs) Christopher, what what are you doing wasting your time with this stupid medium? Podcasting? Nobody's going to listen to podcasting. Get the, oh my God, you're not even going to listen to me. You're going to go off and you're just going to sit there and sit into your little mic in your car. And oh my gosh, I'm not even going to bother. Why should I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got that down. <laughs> got that uh. down. Oh, I can, I can, I can see Richard rolling his eyes and acting like he's not in the room during, during that too. <laughs> Emily, he's going to do what he's going to do. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! It's a ah, uh, oh god, I love that show so much. I love the two of them so much. It, it's losing losing Edward Herman, such a wonderful character actor. He really you know? is. For- yeah, and it, this was a delight, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Yeah, absolutely, like I said, I, I would go, I would go on for a whole another hour. <laughs> Duty calls. So, um, thank you again. Can't wait to be on your show, and can't wait to talk more. Um, everybody, this has been Chris Chipman, the Chippa, 
and Marissa McCool shooting the shit today. Thank you all for shooting the shit with us. And we'll talk to you again soon.